We are in John chapter five this morning. We're on the second sermon out of six, uh, out of a six part series called Not Invisible. We're looking at passages of scriptures and um, different instances where people, because of, uh, for one reason or another, they just sort of felt invisible. They felt invisible to God. Uh, They felt invisible to the crowds because of circumstances. Um, Last week, I'm thankful for uh, Brother Hank stepping in and preaching for me. Uh, Tough to be out the first day of the year. Uh, My my family got hit with the flu bug. And so Carly, my wife, was sick for the first couple of days. And then moving into Saturday night, our daughter Jane got sick um, and she started running a fever. And then I text Hank and I was like, hey man, you, it's your turn, um, go. And so I'm thankful he took my notes and he was able to deliver those with excellence. Um, and then Sunday afternoon, it hit me uh, and it was not great. And then I'm thankful for Bob Martin taking Sunday night and preaching last week. So wonderful that we could leave them in capable hands. But it was tough. I don't know if it was worse being out because I was sick or because I missed you guys. And I wanted to be here. Um, it's, a, it's a peculiar thing when you really want to be at work. Um, but I did. I wanted to be here with you. And I hate that I missed However, we had an incredible message last week. The second part is going to be poignant. It's going to be powerful. We look at John chapter 5. I want to read through this passage. We're going to read verses 1 through 17 of John chapter 5. This text is one unit story with one common purpose, but there are really two uh, two sections to it. We have the uh, we have this overarching: Will you allow Jesus to be God, or will you continue to worship religion and self-effort? Is kind of the overarching. The first part of the passage that we're going to look at in particular today deals with the individual and whether or not you are individually leaning into a self-works or self-effort uh, premised faith. Or um, the second part is, are you trusting in the religious system to save you rather than trusting in the person of Jesus Christ? So we have an individual component in the first several verses, and then we have a corporate collective component in the second. We're going to focus on the first section of this passage, which is the individual component. But I want to read through the full passage, and then we'll jump into the message today. After this, this is in John chapter five, verses one through 17. After this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been in, who had been an invalid for 38 years When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man who the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? 
Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple though and said to him, see, you're well, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Father, we're thankful and grateful that you would help us this morning to study your word. You call us to yourself and you draw us near so that you could speak into our hearts the eternal and critically important matters that you teach us in your truth. And so we pray, Lord, that you would continue to do that work among us now and that you would help us if there be anything in our life that would keep us from hearing your word and being willing to respond in obedience. We pray, Lord, that you would help us beyond that. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a phenomena that has grown really in familiarity um, and really people are becoming more aware of it. It's called age invisibility, age invisibility. Now age invisibility is kind of this umbrella uh, category and underneath this umbrella, there are some concrete applications that become very noticeable in our life. One of these is uh, an age invisibility. One of these is, is age discrimination. Have any of you ever heard that term age discrimination? Age discrimination is the practice of discriminating against people because of their age. So like coming out of COVID, we see so many, uh, the, the workplace, the workforce has been rocked. Um, companies, corporations, are trying to cut money. And so one of the tactics is they're finding their older workforce who they're paying more because of longevity and they're phasing those people out um, in, in hopes of bringing younger folks in. And so they're discriminating against the, the age. Another is even in the hiring practice. There are folks that are in a different season of life and an older season of life who are trying to get a new job or transition either different companies or a new career uh, for whatever reason. But because they're older, they're being discriminated against. And so companies who are seeking longevity among their workforce are choosing to go with younger applicants, even those, even though those applicants may not be as qualified uh, or capable. And so there's this age discrimination and it lives under this, really this umbrella of what we can call age invisibility. Now there's a Jewish resource center that published an article some time ago describing the effects of age invisibility. And they describe them in a way that this sort of guides our thought about this concept in a slightly different way. Their article writes, uh, says this, this is, as people age, they may become less visible within their communities. It can seem like people who once smiled as they walked by begin passing without giving a glance. Senior adults may feel like unwanted outsiders in society. And sadly, many participate in their own invisibility by withdrawing into isolation. Okay, let me just deal with this so that we can then connect it to the message and you can understand where we're going. So the concept is this, age invisibility people that are older in life begin to feel invisible even within the organization and the societies that they've existed in for a very long period of time. They feel invisible because as they walk down the halls, people who used to once nod their heads, smile, hug their neck, give them high fives or fist bumps, 
begin to just walk by them as if they don't notice them anymore at all. And so some of the older folks within an organization, even in a church, will begin to wonder, do I even matter? And then to exacerbate the situation, some of those same individuals who begin to feel invisible will then resolve among themselves, well, if they don't love me enough to talk to me, I'm just going to keep to myself. And so they withdraw. Does that help or hurt the situation? But we see that happening all the time in families, don't we? How many, I mean, listen, we're getting on some toes very early in the sermon, all right? Senior adults, grandparents will sometimes say, well, they just don't love me, so I'm just gonna keep to myself and I'm not, I'm not calling them, they can call me when they're ready to talk. Fantastic, great idea, let's do that, let's play that game. And so what was initially a sensing of invisibility now has become and grown into a full-blown game of, can you even find me? And so we see that what was, what was initially a societal or cultural instance of creating a cloak of invisibility has now been propagated and turned into a full-blown, self-inflicted sense of invisibility. Now in the text this morning, we have a man who is at the pools on the north side of the temple who is likely sensing that he's invisible because he's been around for so long, people are probably not, they're probably used to seeing him, therefore they're just looking straight through him. Now let me give you some context about this passage. And all of this context is going to lead up to this one powerful, penetrating question that Jesus is going to ask. We're in John chapter five, verses one through nine, or one through eight, and this is the context. Jesus is in, we, we have to hold on to the context, church, because we know that the context is both king and key. It is key to us understanding what the word of God means to say, and it's king, which means that the context overrules whatever we think God's word ought to say. We can get ourselves in a lot of trouble reading God's word and telling it what it should be saying. Therefore, we want to read God's word and we want to understand God's word based on what God meant for it to say, not what we think it ought to say. So we look at the context. John chapter five, verse one, here's the context. Jesus is in Jerusalem for a festival of the Jews. We don't know exactly which festival it is. That's indifferent in this particular situation. It is simply a context clue to let us know why Jesus is in Jerusalem at this particular time. If John wanted us to know which festival was being celebrated at that particular time, he would have simply told us like he did on at least four other occasions in the book of John. But in this particular sense, he says, Jesus is in Jerusalem for one of the festivals and there he sees a man. There are a group of invalids who are at this pool, this body of water that is man-made just to the north of the temple in old Jerusalem. North of the temple, there's a gate leading out of the old city of Jerusalem called the Sheep Gate. The Sheep Gate was put there so that, hold on to your seats, folks, the sheep could come in and out. 
all right? That's what it's called there for, is the sheep gate, so that the, the livestock could come in and out. So you could bring your livestock in, sometimes for the purposes of the city, but again, to access the temple where they may be sacrificed. Outside of the city, just on the other side of the sheep gate is this pool that is covered by five colonnades. This is a very large body of water. Now there are a group of invalids, those that are blind, those that are lame, and those that are paralyzed who have gathered around this body of water. And why are they gathered there? It's not because it's just a great day to hang out at the pool. Not true. The reason that they're gathered there is because there's some type of healing property that is uh, found within this body of water. Now, look at your Bibles at John chapter 5, verse 3. John chapter five, verse three. We need to deal with something here because why was the water healing people is a point of question. John chapter five, verse three says, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now tell me this, just a quick show of hands. How many of you are missing verse four? Okay, let me ask it another way, because in case you're just not sure. How many of your Bibles have John chapter 5, verse 3, and then you have John chapter 5, verse 5? Anybody missing verse 4? Okay, now, show of hands, how many of you have a verse 4? Oh. So what's the deal? Who has, we need to ask this question, who has the right Bible and whose Bible's messed up? Those of you who are missing verse four, the the scripture says in uh, older translations, it says that the Lord would send an angel and the angel would come down and stir the water. And whenever the water was stirred, people would go down into the pools and that they would be healed. Now, if you're missing that verse, you're like, that's cool. I want that in my Bible. And so people would say primarily, not exclusively, but primarily the King James Version or the New King James Version are two of the most popular translations that include verse four and the old KJV only type of folks, folks that believe the only right Bible is the King James Version of the Bible. And let me say, I have no problem with the King James Version of the Bible, but if you're of that persuasion, you're wrong. Uh, that's not a, it's just not a good position to take. Uh, the folks that say the King James is the only version of the Bible, they'll use this particular passage of scripture and they'll say, see, look, the other Bibles, the other Bibles are missing parts. They, they took out a verse of God's word and that invalidates those copy of God's word. To which we could respond, those of us who are not KJV only type of folks, did we take something out of God's word or did you add something to God's word? It turns out, and this is, this is what happened, just to bring some resolve to the question. The King James Version, the translators that compiled God's word to have the King James Version and some of the other um, older English translations, they did the best that they could using the available resources that they had as far as traditional manuscripts go. And they compiled, again, doing the best that they could. Since the time of those translations, we have discovered 
older and more reliable and complete manuscripts in the ancient Near East that have been used in combination with those other manuscripts to develop these newer translations. Some of those being the New International Version, the New American Standard Bible, the English Standard Version, the Christian Standard Bible. And so the translators for the King James Version, they did the best they could with what they had available to them. But since that time, we have come to discover newer or older, more reliable and complete manuscripts. And what they discovered is that verse was written in the, uh, in the margins as a parenthetical statement, but it wasn't included in the actual text. So the contemporary translators had decided, since it was a note in the margin, to omit it from the contemporary translations rather than including it as the translators did in some of the older versions. That is how it's resolved, and I pray now you can all go sledding with clear consciences. So we get to the pool. How the pool is being stirred, we don't know specifically. We just know that there evidently are some healing properties within the water. Otherwise, there would not have been a multitude of people that are around looking at it. And then we see not only is there a multitude of people around to be healed, but then Jesus is even there looking at these people that are being healed. Verse five, we come across one man among many. There's this one man who had been sitting or had been paralyzed for 38 years. We don't know how old he is but we know that for at least the last 38 years, he has been a paralyzed invalid and he's unable to move. And then Jesus sees him. Please note this. Jesus sees him and asks him, do you want to be healed? So not only does Jesus see him, but he notices him. So that's the beauty of the way that God sees us. We are not invisible to God. Not only does God see us, but he notices what is actually going on in our life. It's one thing to look in someone's direction. It's another to see who they are, where they are, and what they're going through. And Jesus sees and notices this man. And he asks this man, do you want to be healed. Verse seven, we're going to come back to that question in a moment. Verse seven, the sick man answers him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. So here's the man's problem. Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And the man says, I can't be healed. Every time I try to go down into the water, someone, uh, either no one will take me or someone steps over me and pushes me to the side. So not only am I in this bad situation, but now I can't even get healed. And so Jesus asked him, do you even want to be healed? Why would people not help him? 38 years paralyzed, why would people not help him? Well, there's at least a couple of reasons. Number one, um, people are probably more concerned about securing their own healing rather than his healing. If it's a race to get into the water, then they're just more concerned to deal with them their own healing, to get into the water themselves. And, and we can't really blame them. I mean, people are gathered there because they're in need of a healing and they want to be taken care of. And we still, we still push this same type of mentality now. I mean, how many of you have ever gone to fly on a commercial airline and before the flight takes off, the stewardess, the uh, flight attendant will come out and they'll give safety instructions. And always a part of that safety instruction is what to do in the event that the cabin loses air pressure and the oxygen mask fall down. And what are they tell the passengers to do if the air mask falls down? They say, take the mask and put it over yourself before helping those that are next to you, right? Do any of you know that to be true? And why do they tell you to take care of yourself instead of others? It is not against popular opinion 
so that you have an excuse to let one of your dependents pass away because you really can't stand them, right? That's not why. The reason is because until you take care of yourself, you won't be in a condition to provide ongoing care to those who are dependent upon you. It's so the folks that are at the pool could easily use that line of argument. They could say, you know what? We wanted to help this guy, but until we took care of ourselves, how could we really be in a position to help this guy out? Another reason I think that we could argue that he hasn't been able to be helped is because he's been in a condition so long that maybe he doesn't want to be helped. He says, again, look at verse seven. He says, I have no one to put me in the pool. Okay, so blame it on somebody else. And then he says, while I'm going another steps down. So at first he says, when I try to get in the water, nobody will help me to get healed. And then he says, while I'm trying. So evidently, even though he's paralyzed, he has enough capability to do something himself. And he's tried to get in the water, but every time he tries to get in the water, someone steps over him or pushes him to the side, which tells me that he could get in the water if he tried. And if I've been paralyzed for 38 years and I have in front of me healing, and all I have to do is get into the water, I'm gonna figure out how to make it happen. Uh, So just imagine the scene. This man's been paralyzed for 38 years. He's there at the pool. The water starts stirring. This crowd, multitude of invalids, different disabilities is pouring into the water and he's trying to get to the water. The first time, let's say he gets stepped over and someone gets the water before him, he gets pushed to the side. Okay, I'm gonna figure it out next time. I'm gonna get closer so no one can step beyond me. The second time, the water's stirring, people are trying to get into the water to get their healing, and this man goes and people push him to the side again. Listen, if you wanna be healed the third time, we're scrapping to get into that water. Like the, th- the first time you stepped over me, okay, I learned my lesson. The second time, uh, I learned my strategy. The third time, I'm throwing elbows. Right, like no, I'm not going to discriminate against anyone. It is, it is equal opportunity and I'm going to take anyone and everyone out that gets between me and my healing. These people that didn't wanna help me because they had their own needs, they're gonna think they were disabled before, but they're gonna know they're disabled after I get done with them because I'm getting in that water. And so in the previous verse, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And we look at that verse and we think maybe Jesus is just asking one of these rhetorical questions like he's asked in other situations when he's come across people who needed a miracle in their life, where he's like, well, what do you want me to do for you? Or like last week, when, when we're looking at Elijah's exhaustion and the Lord comes to Elijah and he says, what are you doing here? Like he asked that question because he, he wants you to know what you need so that when he provides it, you can recognize that it was his specific hand that acted on your behalf for your healing and that miracle to take place. But in this situation, the question is very different and it's very different in a powerful, poignant way and it's going to penetrate very deeply. And so I need you to just be ready for this because what Jesus is asking him is going to It's going to dig deeply into our hearts and into our lives and it's going to penetrate us at a heart level. And so when we get into this question in the next few minutes, and it's only gonna take a couple of minutes to get through it, when we get into this question in the next few minutes, I just need you to hear this portion of the sermon coming from a pastor who says the things I'm about to say because I love you. 
but it's not going to be easy. Jesus asked the man this question. Do you want to be healed? And it shows that Jesus saw this man and noticed where he was because if the man really wanted to be healed, wouldn't he have made a greater effort to get to the water? Do, do you really want to be healed? What? Because somebody's not picking you up and carrying you to the water, you're saying that's the reason that I'm not healed? Oh, because someone stepped over you, that's a convenient excuse in this crowded game. Do you want to be healed? Do you want this 38 years of disability to be over so that you can move forward with your mobility? Do you really want to be healed? Or do you want to just keep living the way that you're living? And what this question does is it penetrates to the reality that sometimes people are so satisfied and content with their disability that they would rather just stay the way they are than be changed. And this is so true about us. We grow to the point where we are not only okay with the idea of disability and sin and problem and hardship in our life, but now we welcome the company of it to the extent that even though we know that Jesus heals, we would rather stay in our junk than be set free. This happens all the time with people. And that is likely the case of this man. For 38 years, he has learned what it's like to live with a disability. And now the idea that he would have to let go of his identity as a disabled person in order to be healed, maybe it's not as compelling as once, a, once upon a time it seemed. Like if Jesus would have asked him 37 years earlier, do you want to be healed? A year of dragging around his disabled body might have led him to the point where he said, you know what? Yes, I absolutely want to be healed. 37 years earlier, if this scene would have taken place, Jesus may not have seen this man laying there because he would have scrapped his way to the front of the line at that pool and gotten in the water. But 38 years later, he can't find anyone to take him to the water and he can't seem to fight his own way there. Maybe he doesn't want to be healed after all. Maybe he's okay with how he is. And so often, this is the case with our disabilities, with our sins, with the problems in our life. They become such familiar and ingrained parts of the fabric of our identity that we are nervous to let Jesus do what Jesus does by healing us of those because then suddenly everything will be changed and we'll have to learn life in a new way. And frankly, we're just not sure we want to. And it comes down to the point of not can Jesus heal us, but will we let Jesus heal us? I, I see this playing out in some common ways. And I just want to mention at least four areas that I find this to be so common where people are just hesitant to let Jesus heal them. One of these areas that I see commonly taking place in churches is within marriages. Husbands or wives are so comfortable and now content with whatever attitude or habit that is present in their life or their spouse's life that continues to rob their marriage of intimacy. They are content and comfortable just going on with life without knowing what a flourishing marriage could be like because they don't want to deal with it. They're okay with what their normal is. 
And rather than just letting Jesus come in and dealing with it, they would rather hold on to whatever that is that is robbing them of intimacy and robbing them of of understanding that marriage can be a place of integrity and trust and vulnerability and forgiveness. They would rather hold on to that than rather letting Jesus do a healing work. And so Jesus would be asking you, do you want to be healed? Another area is grief. We see individuals sometimes, oftentimes, who have lost a loved one. And in the beginning, they they don't know how to process grief, which is very commonplace. God did not create us to die. Therefore, it makes sense that we have trouble processing death. Death wasn't in the original design. And so men or women, widows, widowers, sometimes Individuals who have lost a loved one that was dear to them, they will not know how to grieve and they won't walk through the process of grief that's unique to them or allow other people to help them in that. And in the beginning, it's natural for them to be distraught. It's natural for them to be sad. It's natural for them to look like an incomplete being. But eventually, over a period of time, once healing should have taken place and recovery should have instituted itself, some individuals will just embrace the idea of an incomplete sad, sorrowful person. And as a result, as a church and as a family, we haven't just lost one person, but now we've lost two because someone has embraced the identity of brokenness and they're not sure they want to let it go because if they let it go, then maybe they're disrespecting the memory of that lost one. And Jesus is asking do you even want to be healed? And I would just tell you, it's okay to grieve the loss of a loved one and it is okay to move on. Another area is substances. Some have become so comfortable with an addictive substance in their life that the thought of losing that substance makes them feel more uncomfortable than the idea of being healed. They have a substance or an addiction of some sort that they have now embraced so deeply into their life that they feel uncomfortable even by the idea that Jesus would set them free from it and they begin to wonder what would life even look like and do I even want that life? And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Uh, Another is work. Sometimes we become so accustomed to selling our soul to the workplace that we no longer want God to heal us from workaholism and we would rather just maintain these inverted, backwards, corrupted priorities of giving our all to a business or to an organization at the sorrowful, the sorrowful sacrifice of our marriages and our children. And the hard thing is, is that so many men and women today have their identity wrapped up so entirely in their work that it doesn't even bother them anymore that they have sacrificed their spouse and they have sacrificed their children on the altar of work. And Jesus says, do you even want to be healed? And frankly, here's the truth. Here's the truth of how broken we are as a people most of us would answer the same way that I think that this man answered. You know, Jesus, I'm not sure I do. I'm not sure I do want to be healed. 
Some of you might say, I recognize how broken I am and I recognize that I need to be healed. But I'm just not sure that I'm comfortable because I don't want to relearn life. I don't want to have to find a new identity. I don't want to have to become a new person. Some of you might say, you know what? I'm not sure what I'm dealing with is that bad and I don't even see that I'm sick. I've been like this for so long, the man might say. I've been like this for so long, I don't know that there is another option. Either way, in either case, my offer to you, my counsel to you, my caring invitation to you is that you would trust Jesus to be God and to heal you. That you would say, okay, I need to get a new identity. I need to let go of whatever this sin is, with it, whatever this disability is, whatever this idol is that has captured my heart and has written my story. I need to let you, Jesus, heal me. And that you would experience what this man experienced. He trusted Jesus to do what Jesus could do. And in verse eight, this is how Jesus responds. He says, get up, take your bed and walk. In other words, Jesus can heal. He can. He can transform your life. He can give you a new identity. He can set you free. He can do away with the things that have created disability in your life. And it doesn't matter how long those things have been there. Jesus can provide you an immediate instantaneous healing. And he can enable you to walk away from the thing that has kept you down for so long. If you will turn to Jesus, he can and will heal you. So now I ask you, will you? Will you be healed? Do you want to be healed? And before anybody moves, I'm gonna, I'm gonna extend the questions to you. Please, nobody move. Let me ask this because there is someone who has been waiting for such a long time for someone to walk them to the place of asking these questions. Number one, Jesus is asking, do you wanna be healed? And if you're in the position where you've been dealing with something for so long, but you're ready to be healed, I wanna invite you when the invitation comes, it's not yet, but when it's time, I want to invite you to step out and step forward in a public, bold way. I want you to come to the front, take me or one of our other ministers by the hand and say, I need to be healed. Let us pray with you. Let us talk with you. Let us walk with you through whatever you're going through. The first service, I had a man come up to me and said, I need to be healed, but I don't even know what that looks like. I don't even know what I need to be healed from. I just know I'm broken. And we talked and we prayed. We got to the bottom of it. So if you want to be healed, I wanna invite you to step out and step forward. Here's the other. If you don't want to be healed, I want you to ask, God, what is so wrong with me that I don't even realize I'm disabled? See, this is what I've recognized in life and pastoral ministry. Everyone has something they need to be healed from. Every single one of us. I've never met a person who didn't need to be healed. Matter of fact, the Bible would tell us that Jesus is the only one that's not broken. And so if you don't want to be healed, I would ask, God, would you show me what is so messed up in me that I don't even realize I'm messed up? Because it's a sad place to be, to, a, to be at a point where you think all is right and you're willing to live like a disabled man for so long. 
so during this invitation, you either answer, yes, Jesus, I want to be healed, and come forward and let us pray with you, let us encourage you, or you begin asking, Jesus, would you reveal to me what it is in my life that's made me broken to the point that I don't even recognize it? And then listen intently because he will begin revealing to you what's going on in your heart. Very quickly, I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. If you would stand where you are, we're going to move into our invitation. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. If our ministers that are serving the invitation could make their way to the front, if our, uh, those that are on our altar team, our prayer team, if you would come into your position, we're going to move very quickly into an invitation because there's someone that needs to respond and we don't want to delay. If you need to respond to this invitation in any way, I'm going to invite you to step out and step forward after the prayer. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing When we begin singing, if you need to respond, if you just want someone to pray with you, someone to encourage you, talk with you, if you have any decision you need to make, I'm gonna invite you to step out of your aisle and step forward down the aisle. Take me or one of our ministers by the hand. It doesn't matter if you're in the front or in the back or in the balcony, we are excited to receive you and we want to receive you. There will be someone waiting for you, but whatever you do, don't walk out of this place without having responded to Jesus's question. Do you wanna be healed? Father, we pray with thanksgiving in our heart that you would ask us such a question and that through that question, you would penetrate deeply into our hearts and that you would confront the reality that many of us not only have sin and disability in our life, but we've grown so comfortable with its presence that we're not sure we really wanna let it go because it means we'll have to relearn life entirely. But we understand that salvation and redemption through the son, Jesus Christ, it comes with a new identity. It comes with a redeemed personhood. And it may be a little scary giving up something we're so used to, but it also presents the best and only true option to life, and that is salvation in Jesus Christ. So Lord, my prayer, God, is that over the men and the women, the teenagers that are in this sanctuary who are hearing this word and sensing your call, that they would, God, that they would with courage and boldness, they would step out in obedience. And that they would answer, yes, I want to be healed. And Lord, today, this morning, we would see the lost coming into salvation and being healed. We would see marriages that are broken be healed. Lord, that we would see men and women who have given themselves to the workplace be healed of that addiction and that they would see you resuscitate their marriages and resuscitate their family life. God, we pray that we would see this morning widows and widowers who feel like they died with their loved one revived and resuscitated and healed from that grief-stricken lifestyle. But God, we pray that you would do what only you can do, and that is to be God and to save us and to heal us. And so God, move among your people. Move among your people this morning right now and move your people. In Jesus' name, amen. The invitation is open. Who needs to respond?